Now you can hear me. I just sobbed for you, uh, all the Raytown graduates. I was just weeping because I miss you so much this morning. And I love you and just to celebrate you and yeah, all that. So, okay. All right. All right, let's talk about the announcements and all that again. So anyways, we talked about this rescue swimmer analogy that uh, when you're putting on the armor of God, what are you putting the armor on for? What, what are you? What battle are you engaging in? Is it just a battle to sustain your Christian life and to be happy in your Christian home and to have your Bible in your room? And like, is that what you put the armor of God on for? Or is it to pursue souls and to win souls and to see people saved and be used in the lives of other people? Like, what, what do you need armor for unless you're in an actual battle, right? So we kind of, I kind of thought about this battle as like a rescue swimmer because that's what I've always wanted to be when I grow up. I want to be a rescue swimmer. And so uh, I also, hit this slide, happened to uh, strongly promote this. Okay, we're going to get there. Um, this movie. <laughs> that's all right. We'll get it. What? So we talked about we talked about the Guardian. Uh, I, well, I was thinking about the Guardian and this guy who you know he goes and he's on a rescue mission and he ends up having to like there it is he has to save you know he has to save this is his basically his uh, his mentor it's like his teacher his coach or whatever and I don't want to spoil it for you but I'm I'm going to because you won't watch it so anyways he like grabs his arm and in the final closing moments of the story he's like you know I'm gonna we're gonna get you out of here and the coach is like this it's not gonna hold us like one of us has to go and the and the the guy's like I'm never gonna let you go I'm not gonna let go and the and the the coach he's like I know I know finally arrives like I know you're you're like gonna be the hero and he unzips or unstraps his glove and he like he lets the glove slip off and the and he and he dies and like he like gave his life for this this person he was you know mentoring and coaching up to be this next you know super awesome rescue swimmer so anyways in real life okay um you know in day to day life where you're winning a soul where you maybe aren't in a helicopter hanging on to a physical body you are actually pursuing a soul and many times have to cling on to that person in prayer maybe or relationally so that you just won't relent you won't give up this person has to be saved you're so burdened for them there's a connection that you can't just dismiss Uh, and in that pursuit of that soul of that person acknowledging Jesus as their Lord and Savior I can think of a few instances I, I can remember when my brother when I was in, uh, I was in college, and my brother was—he was wayward. You know, he was—he was lost, and he was just doing what lost people do. And I remember, I couldn't shake it. F- for my whole life, my brother's been so important to me. He's been so important. Like I know all you know, siblings are important, but like my brother was like my hero. He was like—he was who I wanted to be. He was who I looked up to. I—I I, I benefited from his friendship so much, and. And when I got saved, and then I started learning and growing and realized, wow, the condition of my brother is actually really 
dire, like it's urgent. Like my brother, if he were to die, he would likely spend eternity in hell. And that struck me. It was like, whoa, I can't be okay with that. And the trajectory of his life was nowhere good. And so I remember being so desperate that I'm, I'm there in my parents' house, on my knees, on the couch. Kylie's there, and I'm just weeping for my brother. Just weeping like, God, I can't lose him. I can't. And it's not like he had terminal cancer. He was just a young man, just living life. But I knew that that, you know, his, all his vitality in his life was actually just temporal. I know that at the end of his life, he would be spending eternity in hell. And that isn't okay with me. And you will find yourself burdened for people in that same way. It's not okay that they don't know Jesus Christ. But in that pursuit, and in that burden, and in trying to win that soul to Christ, there's absolutely going to be waves and turbulence of the sea, right? That requires strength and stability. There's going to be uh, motion and chaos in your life. It's not going to be super simple and, and easy to just communicate the gospel and to love this person. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be uh, people who come in and try to steal your influence out of their life. Things like that. And our loins... Our strength, our stability must be girt about with truth. You have to be able to know uh, when this person comes in and tries to influence this person you're desperate that they be saved that, and they come to you with questions and doubts. Man, you ought to know what the Word says about it. You ought to have an answer for the hope you have. As you pursue the person in need of saving, we, we saw last week that there will likely be accusations uh, that can stunt your mission, right? Our testimony of righteousness can speak volumes to the lost world. If you'll just do right, right? If you'll just do right, not be right, but do right, live right, it's not like you're perfect, it's not like you're legalistic, it's not like that you're that super religious person, but you do what's right. You want to honor God with your lifestyle. When you do that, that stands out to people. People notice that. Right? When you don't do right, when you live however you want to, that also stands out to people. But it stands out differently. It stands out in this way. If you say in one moment, I'm a Christian, or you mention church or something like that, but then you're doing the exact same thing as what all lost people are doing, if you're I mean, if your friends are rational at all, they'll say, oh, well, I might as well call myself a Christian too. Alright? I guess I'm good. I guess I'm cool. So your lifestyle is important when you're pursuing a soul. And in the midst of this pursuit, attacks could, could happen. Right? Like there could be, you know, accusations, but there could also be attacks on, you know, your person. There could actually be real uh, danger Physically, you could also uh, have, I don't know, like when I was in high school, it's not really an attack retrospectively. At the time, it felt like an attack. But people in my grade, in my class, were calling me names. Like, they called me God Boy. I mean, you, it's the best you got. <laughs> <And> really? <laughs> got me, <laughs> you know. 
But at the time, that really hurt. You know, I remember some of my closest friends, guys who, you know, like this is inspired because I was on the swim team. That's why I wanted to be a rescue swimmer. And guys on that swim team, they used to literally accuse me of being part of a cult. And that hurt. That hurt my feelings. It didn't hurt my feelings because I felt like I was part of a cult. It hurt my feelings because they meant so much to me. And their opinion of me was bad all of a sudden. Right? And those, that's not really an accusation, but those like, you know, jabs, that hurts. So how do you respond? Well, the response ought to be one of faith. Well, I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to believe God. Doesn't matter what people think. God's got me. I'll be a God boy. Whatever. Lamb. (laughs) But, okay. And that's important. Now also in the midst of this pursuit of souls, you got to put on your helmet and pick up the sword. And so that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about is this helmet and sword. So let's, let's read the first part of Ephesians 6, verse 17. It says, And take the helmet of salvation. Okay, we've got a helmet. And it's the helmet of salvation. Who knows what the first helmet in the Bible is? First helmet... Anybody? Take a guess. Rashawn? He just found it. Hold on, Rashawn. Hold on. He looked it up. That's good. What do you think? Goliath. Ah, he's good. Yes. What, was, what were you going to say, Rashawn? 1 Samuel 17.5. And whose is it? Was Joel right? It says, And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Yeah, Goliath. Yeah. It was Goliath. Okay, so Goliath has this helmet, and he has this chainmill, and this chainmill is like over a hundred pounds, and this helmet is big and made of brass, and it's he's got this heavy armor on, right? And Goliath is obviously the bad guy. Well, that story plays out that Goliath comes out, he presents himself, he's this champion, he's this warrior fighter, and David tells Saul, he's like, hey, I'll fight him, and Saul's like, no, you won't, and he's like, dude, David's like, I killed a lion. And I killed a bear because I was watching sheep. I can do this. Come on. This guy can't just defy the armies of the living God. He can't just thumb his nose at God. Put me in, coach. Right? And so Saul's like, all right, you fight him. But you got to put on this armor. And so he puts on a helmet of brass and a chain mill on him. The same outfit that Goliath has on. Saul put on David. Okay, then what's David do? He's like, he's like, no, 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 no. This outfit, this armor is not proven. So he says, it's not proven. I don't use this. This isn't my thing. I'm not going to use this. So he takes it off, and he goes and he gets his slingshot. And then you know the story. He drops him dead, right? He takes him out. Okay, so... David's leader led him to put on the same armor as the enemy had on rather than the one he had already had success with, rather than the one that he had used in battle previously. So as we inspirationally see that there's an improper or an inappropriate armor to put on, we've got to consider for a moment what is this armor actually for us? Like we know... There's the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. The shield of faith. But what is it? What is the armor? 
Well, the armor for us is not some physical, tangible thing that you put on. It's not apparel or tools. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's an approach to life and ministry, right? It's having and using faith, righteousness, the gospel, the word of God to do our battle. I'm not putting anything on physically, but I am absolutely putting things on spiritually. I'm putting this new man on. I'm putting this armor. I'm putting this way of thinking and being that is biblical as I do battle for souls. Okay, so just like David had put on the wrong armor and then took it off, it makes me wonder, can we put on the wrong armor? Can we put on improper armor? Okay, well... Let's consider first what, you know, this helmet of salvation. We'll talk about, uh, let's look at how Paul describes how he talks about this helmet that we're called to put on from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Check out this armor. It says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. Then they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Here, here we go. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So the helmet of salvation in Ephesians 6, the same as the hope of salvation. The helmet that is the hope of salvation. So what's the difference? What are we talking about? Well, how do I apply that? What kind of mentality should I have if I have the helmet of salvation? Well, our mentality we put on each day should be one of hope and gratefulness for a promised deliverance and salvation from sin and from the sad brokenness of the world. You have been saved. If you put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been saved. There is a, there is a promise that you will be delivered even from this body. Like your, your spirit is saved. Your soul is saved. You're two-thirds saved, but you're still in your body. Okay? And there's a promise that one day He's going to come back and get you and you'll be completely delivered from the world. It'll be long gone and you'll be with the Lord and you'll spend eternity future and Jesus will he'll be on the throne and all things will be well. You've got a, a, a promise of deliverance, but also you have a promise of, like, you're forgiven. You have a salvation right now from your sin. And that ought to be your mentality as you go through the day. This isn't it. This isn't all that there is. This hardship, this struggle. And I go to work, and I'm sitting there, I get all my kids testing, they're taking their tests. And I have a girl come in. It's silent. I got some lo-fi, lo-fi hip-hop beats playing. It's like peaceful. I'm working. It's good. I'm feeling like, yeah, this is right. Okay. And then this girl comes in, and she looks at this other girl. She's like, girl, F you. I'm like, wait, 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 what? And then the girl responds, she's like, girl, F you. And I'm like, Guys, what are we doing? Like, hold on. Whoa. Like, I just want to leave. Like, get me out of here. Come on. Sometimes, don't you feel that? Like, ah. Why is this place so jacked up? Why are people so jacked up? 
Man, you know what? We have a hope that's different than that. It's different from just being annoyed. There's a hope. There's an answer. Our helmet, our mentality should be one of hope. It should be one of resolve and peace because we have the answer to man's greatest issue, right? His sin. We have the answer to that. So when those girls show up, yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, they need to be dealt with. But at the same time, man, you know what? Why is that? Why, why is that happening? Think about it. The people in your classes and the people in your colleges, seniors, there's going to be brokenness. Why is it? Why is there brokenness? Why are their homes broken? Why do their parents hate each other? Why do their parents hate them? Why are they running away from home? Why are they struggling? Why do they feel dead inside and apathetic? Why are they depressed? Why are they hopeless? Why do they feel so empty and low? Why? Because of sin and the sin nature. And you have the answer. And so you have a different perspective of what's going on. You have hope. You know the answer. You know you're taken care of. And you know what could take care of them if they were willing to humble themselves before the Lord. You have the helmet of salvation. The salvation should be on your mind. Here's a key point. Salvation secures you in eternity, but also in your present moment. Yet, your, your, your eternity is secured at salvation. I know I'm going to heaven, not going to hell. That's important. That'll make you thankful. You, I mean, we don't present it this way because we don't want you to just think you're, you know, checking a box. But you do kind of get a ticket to heaven when you get saved. Sure, you do. Yep. You're going to heaven. And nothing can change that. But salvation is much more than that. It's not just, oh, I've secured my future. It's, I'm secure in my present now. Because I know my future is taken care of, and because I know God is with me. Does that make sense? Now considering that, okay, I'm supposed to put on this hope of salvation. I'm supposed to put this mentality on. We've got to understand that we cannot, if we're pursuing a soul, we cannot put on the enemy's armor and approach to battle. Now, what would theirs be? What's their approach to get somebody, you know, to believe what they believe? Well, we're not going to win souls with argumentation. I've argued with students a lot. I argue with kids every day. Sometimes it's in jest and it's in love. I will talk about who's the best, you know, who's the best basketball team right now or who's the best basketball player of all time. And I'm, and I'm always right, okay? I'm always right. Because, because they're not, bro. Shut up. Quit it, Charlie. Get out of here. I'm going to argue with you, okay? And sometimes it's playful. But sometimes... If someone doesn't believe what you believe about God, maybe that's frustrating. And some of you are like, I never talk to people about God. Okay, I'm not talking to you then. But those of you who maybe you talk about God and you want your friends to know about Jesus because you know He saved you and you know that they have to see Jesus for who He is. And if they don't get it, sometimes that might be frustrating. And sometimes that might cause you to, to be irritable with them, to argue with them. And that's not going to work. We don't win. We don't get anywhere with that, right? I told a girl, I think I told the story already, but I told a girl, we're talking about the gospel, we've been talking about it a lot, and she's in my room and frustrated. So I tell this other girl, I'm like, 
Can you believe? This girl doesn't believe in God. <laughs> and, and the girl's like, what? You don't believe in God? And then this girl's like, Craig's her. Like, oh, why are you like making it something that's not? And she was embarrassed and all this. I was kind of like, you know, I'll stir up the pot. Like, go on. You think you're so smart? Well, defend it to me and her. Like, let's go. Okay, how effective was that? Again, it was playful. But she was no more convinced than she was before. Coercion, right? You're not going to be able to force someone's arm into believing and understanding. You're not going to be able to guilt trip someone in to accepting salvation. I told a friend one time, I did the Way of the Master thing. Have you heard of that? Anybody heard of Way of the Master? A few of you have. Way of the Master is I say, do you think you're a good person? You say, yeah, I'm a good person. I say, have you ever lied? Then you say, if you're honest, yes. And then, long story short, you walk through some commandments, some instruction. Everyone realizes they've sinned. And then you say, well, do you deserve to go to heaven or hell? And they say, hell. And then, and then you have to then give them the gospel, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. You deserve to go to hell, and so do I. But here's the good news. Okay, I remember having those kinds of conversations in high school, and I was super clumsy. So I would say things like, yeah, you deserve to go to hell. And, and, the, and my friends would be like, Jeff, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, I feel really bad. <laughs> Stop. And I, I, I remember telling my science teacher this one time, Miss Darter. At, at the Raytown kids aren't here. But I told Miss Darter, Darter this, and, and it was similar. She was like, yeah, this is, yeah, it's like pretty interesting. Because I was just coming right at it. I wanted to make them feel bad about their sin. And it was a good idea, but bad uh, bad execution. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. But you know what does work? Having hope. Being willing to communicate the gospel and having hope. Confidence in what you know to be true. And then being loving and praying. Because God will convince them. Right? God is the one who literally convinces them, who convicts them of their sin, who lets them know your sin is exceeding sinful. God does that. So here's your next key point. We don't use force, we use faith. So you're, you're you know, like the, the cool rescue swimmer guy, Ashton Kutcher, which he's also dreamy. So it's like, ah, oh, I just want to be dreamy like Ashton Kutcher. So anyways, you're extending down, you've got your helmet on, you've got your mentality, you've got your loins girt about with truth, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel, you're ready, you've got the breastplate of righteousness, you've got the shield of faith, you're ready to go into battle to res- rescue, to redeem this person, and you've got to be hopeful because they're not going to be hopeful. They don't have hope. And you have to be able to convince them, we're going to get you out of here. You can get out of here. There is an answer for your dire situation where you're drowning in the ocean. You're drowning in the sea right now. You're drowning in your circumstances. You're drowning in your sin. You're going to drown in a lake of fire. But there's a way out, and I know it. So follow me. Trust me. I'm at peace, and you can be too. But in the midst of that, right, you also, they are tied down. There's a weight. There's chains wrapped around them that are going to drown them and sink them to the bottom. And what are those chains? What is that weight? That weight is their sin. Those chains are their bondage to it. 
They can't help it. Their sin nature grabs hold of their soul, it grabs hold of their life, and it won't relent, it won't let go. But we know they've been freed from it. But they don't know that. They don't know that forgiveness is offered. They don't know that redemption and life is extended to them. They don't know that. So how do you tell them? You can yell at them. You can try to coerce them and convince them. You can try to explain it all to them. And you ought to throw yourself at it. You ought, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes, especially in high school, trying to evangelize. And I made some really awkward comments. I told a girl that she was being used by Satan because she kept making fun of this Jewish girl. And I was like, dude, if we want her to get saved, you're being used by Satan by making fun of her. Needless to say, she was like, Jeff, I don't think we're cool anymore. Right? That was a mistake. I shouldn't have said that. But I learned from it. I threw myself at it. I was passionate about it. And I'm not the standard nor am I the expectation. Like, I'm not the bar. But I knew, I knew in my knower and in my heart of hearts that people needed the gospel. And because I was just foolish and humble enough to say, i got to do something about it. I threw myself at it, and I made a lot of mistakes. But I learned a lot, how not to do it. And I want to encourage you, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And that's alright. God didn't strike me down. And some of those people, I told the story, of one of the guys who said I was part of a cult, one of the guys who we were out on a deck, at, uh, on a dock, at my coach's lake house, and we are staring at the stars, and... I take yet another, maybe awkward stab at trying to evangelize my friend. His name was Jeff. I'm like, Jeff, can you believe God made all those stars? And this is like the fifth or sixth time I've, I've tried to tell him. I'm annoying at that point. He's like, Jeff, bro, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to. No, stop. I said, okay, whatever you say. Well, last year, he texts me, calls me. He's like, hey, Jeff, you remember that conversation we had on the, on the dock? I was like, yes. And he's like, hey, man, I just wanted you to know, like, I, I found the Lord. And that conversation has stood out to me over the years. And, and I, you know, I, I believe in God. I'm like, oh, what? So I invite him to our Bible study. He zooms in with us and we're walking through the gospel and we're studying scripture and he's participating. I don't know where he is now. But he said, hey, I, I, uh, thank you guys for the Bible study. I'm going to plug into a local church down here where I live. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> what? You guys, your friends who hate God, who don't believe in Him, who hate when you talk about Him, they are not bigger than God. They're not. They're not stronger than His Word. They're not sharper than it. They're not. And you got to believe that. And you have to be willing to throw yourself at the work of communicating the Gospel. However, okay, you don't want to just throw yourself at being a bully. You don't want to just throw yourself at talking about God, about being this cultural Christian. Okay, where you pray before your meals at lunch and you want people to see you like, and you bring your Bible so that everybody knows, but you never open it. 
You're not sharing it. You just want people to see that you have a Bible. Okay, nobody is impressed by that. Nobody's going to call you later and be like, you know how you like carried your Bible to school? Like that really inspired me to... You have to use it, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have to take it and you have to use it. Okay, so that's the next part of verse 17. He says, In the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we must take the sword of the Spirit and be able to help the captive be set free with it. Okay, those chains, that weight that's pulling them down has to be cut down. But it's not that you get to just come up and Zorro it. You know who Zorro is? Okay, Zorro, he's like this cool swordsman. You don't get to just come up and cut it up and you're the hero and look at me, I got my Bible, I'm ready to go. You have to use it in their lives. They have to use it in their lives. You have to give the sword to them. You're not the only one who has a conceal and carry sword permit. They need that too. Right? you got to take the sword of the Spirit and know how to use it in their lives. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26, describes it like this. It says, And the servant of the Lord, that's you and me, must not strive. We're not looking to fight somebody. We are in a fight for somebody, but we're not going to fight them. Here's how they must be. They must be, but be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach. You're ready to teach. Patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So the words that stand out to me are being gentle. If you have a sword, you should be gentle. If you're careless with the sword, like I was, and you don't learn from it, and you just tell people what the Bible is, and you're a Bible thumper, but not sensitive to their souls, you just want to be right, okay, well, that's not going to be as effective. You have to be gentle, apt to teach. You do have to be ready. You do have to know what the Bible says about sin. And it's not that you have to have all the answers that Pastor Sam has. That's not it. It's not the standard. You don't have to be as smart as Brock or any of the the counselors in here. You don't have to have... I mean, Kylie knows the Bible. She knows the Bible so well. And I'll say she knows it better than than most people I know just because I know how much Bible she knows generally. But sometimes she'll just say something. I'm like, well, how do you know that? Where'd that come from? But it's not like she just studied it. She just like has it back there. It's just like collected. She's got this database of Bible knowledge where she'll just be like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what? And she can do it in Spanish. Right, so she's super sharp. She's sharp as a tack. But here's the deal. You don't have to be that smart. You can be. Some of you are. Some of you are that smart. And praise God for that. Be that smart. But the goal is not that you just get all of the answers. The goal is that you have answers and you use them. And you know how to use them. If you just know John 3.16, you know enough Bible to influence someone with the gospel. You understand? If you know one verse, you have enough to influence. Because you, your wisdom and your power and your intelligence is not what's going to move a heart or a soul towards salvation. You're not impressive enough. You're not. So get over yourself. Just get over it. Just be done with yourself. And say, I'm just going to hide myself in His Word and His Word in my heart and... 
I want that to be what comes out. Did Joel Kilgore preach the gospel? Was that your baccalaureate? At his baccalaureate, at Lee Summit North's baccalaureate. And his mom had this like sneaky camera view. She was recording him, probably not to be like robbing. But she was recording Joel. And it was like a six-minute message. And the dude just flat out preached the gospel. Now here's what's cool. Joel, to me, is he's really impressive. He's really smart. He's got the theater. He's got all these cool things about him. He's a great dude. And he's really capable. And he's really gifted and all that. But what was most impressive about watching that video, I sat there and watched the whole thing, was that he hid behind the Word. He was just telling Bible verses, giving his testimony. This is who God is to me. This is what God's done for me. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Dude is preaching. Now that's like, that's like option A. If you can preach the gospel to your whole class, do it. Or to whoever shows up to baccalaureates, you do it. You preach it. But you know what is equally impressive? Is if you'll enter into just a one-on-one relationship with somebody. And you'll tell them the same thing. But you know how to use the word. That is the objective. That's the goal. Whatever open door God gives you, you take it. And you do it gently. But you're ready to teach. You're ready to speak what the word says. You're patient and in meekness instructing. You know that you can't control anything. Right? You can't force someone to believe or force someone to understand. You just, with patience, you take your time, you instruct them, you say what the Bible says. I've told the gospel to several students at Grandview time and 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 time, and time again, and they don't understand. They literally don't understand it. Is it because they're stupid? Absolutely not. Some of the smartest people I know share the gospel and they don't understand. Why? Because their heart and mind are blinded. So what do I, just give up? What do you do, just give up on them? I don't get it. Well, guess I'm never going to get it. No, you preach the gospel 150 times if you have to. Sam always says there's, there's a, uh, a number seven, okay? The, the, the rule of seven. That you have to invite someone seven times to an event before they feel adequately invited. Does that make sense? So you invite them seven times. And I think... The gospel is probably no different. You have to invite them to consider the gospel probably seven times before they really get it. Every once in a while, you'll hear it. I I grew up in a church that talked about Jesus. I knew the story of Jesus before I got saved. And many of you probably did too. But I realized that like it unlocked for me when I was 15 or 16 in a way it never had before. But I had heard it dozens of times. I'd been going to a Bible preaching church for multiple years before I got saved. Why? Because I'm dumb? No. I mean, I might be. But that's not why I didn't get saved. It's because I just I wasn't there. You have to be patient. Be patient with us. Be patient with your peers. But instruct them. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So you're, 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 uh, you're extending down from the helicopter. You've got all your cool armor on. It's like crazy windy. It's turbulent. You're in the world trying to, 
you're in the world but not of the world, right? You're, you're down in the, in the storm of it and you reach down to this person and they've got all this weight on. And you have to be able to instruct them. You have to be able to, to teach them, to preach to them the gospel and the word of God that will set them free from the sin and bondage that's holding them down in the water. And here's how you do it. You instruct them by handing them the sword of the Spirit. Here's the word of God that is for you and not just me. It's for you. Take it. Here's how you use it. Here's how I use it in my life. Here's how God has delivered me from my sin. Here's how God has given me victory over this sin and that sin. Here's how God redeemed me. Here's how God forgave me. Here's what it looked like for me. And as you give those instructions, they're like, oh, okay. And they use the sword and they cut the chains free. And they're victorious. And my brother is victorious. Right? And, and Daniel Yarbo is victorious. And Jeff Schlatter is victorious. And I don't know how all that worked. I was not the one who discipled those guys. I was not the one who felt like I really completely adequately instructed them on how to, do, how to be delivered of sin. And I felt like I confused people as much as I do explain things and clarify for people. I feel like I over-talk sometimes. I feel like I over-preach. I feel like I over-explain. But God's moving. Speak the Word. Let Him do it. He will do it. But don't sit on your hands. Right? And don't bully people into it. We have to be surgeons. Right? Surgeons with the Word. Not construction workers. You're not ripping things off and throwing things on. It's precise. It's careful. We're counselors, not critics. You don't sit down with someone and critique them. You sit down with them and you listen. You listen. Listen to people. Stop talking so much and listen. Hear them out. Hear where they're at. And then have a response ready to share with them what the Bible says. But listen. We have to be gentle with souls, not bullies. Lovers of truth, not just a lover of being right. So here's your key point. If you love souls and you love the Word of God, you will use the sword of the Spirit appropriately in people's lives. Okay, if you love people, you love God's Word, it'll work out. You're not going to do it perfectly. But you need both of those. There are people who love the Word of God and they don't have a, a genuine burden for souls and you know what they are? They're bullies. And they burn relationships and they burn people and they... They run themselves out of churches because the churches don't meet their expectations because they don't, they don't know how to love people. But then again, you can love people a lot. And if you don't love the Word of God, you will not use it in their lives. You'll sit there and listen. And you'll become best friends with them. I remember there's a guy, he was a friend of mine. He was a very close and dear friend of mine. And I really wanted him to be saved. His name was Drew. I loved him. We hung out every day. We played video games. We played catch. We played basketball. I mean, I was like, I'm going all out for this dude. I'm going to win my soul. And I would, I would kind of sprinkle in conversations, open up invitations to talk about the gospel every once in a while. Right? Did it a couple times. And then there was just this stretch of time where I was hanging out with him. And I was thinking, this dude's going to get saved because we're hanging out all the time. And 
few months went by and I realized. Dude, I've talked to this guy about football and basketball more in the last several months than I've like talked about it in my whole life. I've been working on building this bridge and the bridge just keeps getting longer and longer and longer between this dude's soul and God. We're building the wrong bridge. We were close friends. And eventually I had to just say, oh, man, you know, like, I'm not going to invite myself over or invite him over to hang out every day. I'm just going to kind of give it some space. And I gave it some space. And then years went by and I reached back out. I said, hey, Drew, can I take you out to, to dinner? I just want to hang out with you. I want to see you again. So I took him out. We ate sushi down in, in downtown. And we sat down and I said, bro, uh, I want to hang. And I also wanted to just share, you know, if you believed what I believe about life and death and about what the Bible says, then you wouldn't be able to help but share this as well. And so, I, I'm, you know, it's a little awkward, but I, I have to tell you the gospel and I have to ask you what you think about it. So I laid it all out. And he's like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's not where I'm at right now, though. I said, okay, no problem. So I'm hanging on. I'm like, well, maybe we'll just hang out for a little bit longer. He's like, yeah, you want to go to this bar and grill pub area down in Midtown? I'm like, sure, okay. So I go down there with him. We're hanging out, and I quickly realize he's wanting to take this evening in a direction. He just wants to escape. I'm like, man, I got to go. I got to run. I, I got to get back home. But I'm really glad we got to see each other. I have no idea where he's at. I don't know. But I know that if in that early... I remember when I was 15, we had a conversation in his dad's gigantic Ford excursion. I remember we were talking about the gospel. And I remember later on, when I was more pointed, I was more focused on getting the Word of God into his soul, not just loving him, but, but speaking truth to him. I remember a conversation we had in my car when I was dropping him off. And he was telling me about his childhood and about how he prayed. And he remembered praying and God not answering his prayer the way that he wanted him to. His parents got a divorce, and I was really hard on him. And I remember him telling, Man, I'm, really, I'm really close. He said that, I'm close, but I'm not there. When he was probably, he was probably, he was probably 15, I was probably 16 or 17. And I remember him telling me he was close. And I just kind of bailed. I didn't know what to do. I was like, wow, man, okay. And I'm praying. And I got distracted because I was a stupid high schooler. I was just doing all this stuff. I wonder, what if I put both together? What if I loved Him, but I also loved the Word, and I stayed, I stayed diligent? What if I didn't let go of Him? Right? What if I would have hung on? What if I would have been able to have follow-up conversations after that? Now, I'm not putting all of His eternity on me, but I'm kind of putting His eternity on me. Because what else am I going to do? Forget about Him? You know what I mean? But if you love the Word of God and you love the souls, you'll be able to use that in their lives. And it may be clumsy, but that's okay. God will work it out. So let's talk about some closing remarks. We are done, uh, but I'm going to read these verses and I'm going to tell you my applications. This is more geared toward the seniors. Verse 18. He tells the church at Ephesus, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he's asking the church, hey, be prayerful. Pray for us. And so my application is this. Seniors, please continue to pray for student ministry. Pray for the growth of students. Don't leave us and forget about us. Pray for us. Pray for our counselors. Pray for our families. Pray that we'd be fruitful. Pray for my children. Pray for the Murphy's children. Pray for the Fife's children and the Ahoras. And pray, for, pray for all the counselors in our lives and the things that we got going on. Don't forget to pray for us. We need your prayers. And I can assure you we'll be praying for you. And we won't stop. Ephesians 6.21 says, But that ye, may, that ye also may know of my affairs, and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. So he sent a guy to keep connection. My application is, seniors, keep in touch with us. Don't let this be the end of our friendship. Come share meals with us at our house. Come visit ministry events. Hug us when you see us at church. You know, we don't have a Tai Chicas. We don't have somebody I can just send down to Kaya. Lydia's our Tai Chicas. Yes, we're going to send Lydia. But seriously... Some of my favorite moments while I'm here at church, and I think this is probably similar to the other counselors, is my favorite moments are when uh, graduates just say, hey, and they hug, hug us. And it, we don't have to sit down and have a full you know, conversation if you don't want to, if you've got things to do. Hey, you're a busy college student. You do. But please give us a hug. Let us know how you're doing. Give us the time of day when we stop you in the halls and ask you how you're doing. Come over. I've got like four or five students who have told me like, yeah, we need to come over. They said they want to come hang with Kai and I. And it may be another year or two before they actually come. And that's all right. There's no pressure. It's no like, just tell me you want to come hang out. <laughs> just tell me, yeah, I want to hang out. And that's good enough for me. Yeah, just keep telling me that. Yes. But keep in touch. Stay connected. This isn't the end of our friendship. Ephesians 6, verse 23 and 24. Let's finish this out. He says, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So let's end the same way Paul does here. And we're going to pray. And we'll be done. Okay? Father, thank you for Ephesians. Thank you for the seniors. Thank you for your heart. That you pursue us. That you pursue souls. Um, that God, you're relentless. That you're patient. You're long-suffering. God, would you cause us to be the same? You're bold. You're unafraid. 
You're not a respecter of persons. You know that everyone needs the gospel and you're willing to send it to everyone. God, make us the same. Make us willing to to open our mouths with boldness in conversation with the lost. Let us be secure in our salvation that we're okay no matter what because you, you have saved us. God, give us a hunger and a craving for your word that is uh, unquenchable, that we can't get over um, studying your word and reading your word. And, um, Lord, as the seniors go out, God, would you give them that? Would you sustain them? Would you cause them to, to grow? And, uh, and God, for the, for the, the group that's rising up, that's, that's moving up. God, give us um, that, that craving that all we want is to be with you and your word. And all we want to do is to tell people about it. And um, make, us, make us radical. Make us catch us on fire for your glory, for your word. God, you do the work. We don't, we don't want to force anything. We don't want to manufacture some strange religious whatever. God, we just want to be in love with you. Help us be in love with you. And then use us, God. You've been good to us. And you are good to us. You're only good to us. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.